Listening to Giro Vagando, the cycling podcast at the 2021 Giro d'Italia, powered by Super Sapiens, energy management for committed athletes and coaches. Today we are in Cortina d'Ampezzo. Well, TJ, when you wake up, knowing what you've got to do today and you see the weather, just talk, talk me through your thought process this morning. Honestly, just try to think as little as possible. Uh, you know, we got, a, we got a tough as nails leader in Hugh, and, you know, he woke up and he was G'd up and he said, like, fuck, we're going to... We're here to race. We're going to race. And I mean, when you have a, a leader that's that inspiring, then, you know, it's easy to, it's easy to, you know, get up for the task. You've done a lot of stages like this over the years. Tell me how you've kind of learned over the years or your attitude to them has changed or what are the sort of secrets of, of surviving a day like this? Pretty much just that. Switch your brain off, pump some music in the bus. You know. What was on this morning? <laughs> bit of Katy Perry no <laughs> which song um what was that firework. yeah firework was on ET extraterrestrial I think we might change it up once we go back to it but we still have you gotta roll into it you know you can't it's got a crescendo Katy Perry was like an appetizer you know we're gonna get to the main dish probably like some Metallica or something does any part of you are you conscious that it could become an epic day and it could become awful does that appeal to any part of you to think that you were part of something amazing that people might talk about in years to come I mean nobody's ever forgotten the 88 uh, Giro when Hampston won over the Gavia and uh, you know won in epic fashion I mean the thing is big riders ride big on big days so this is a day for uh, for Hugh it's a chance to cement him as a his legendary status and to say like you know this is the rider i am and um you know we're you gotta you gotta relish days like that and just finally where is his head at do you think in terms of being aggressive sort of you know holding on consolidating what what have you seen from him over the last couple of days he's never lost sight of uh of believing that he can win the giro i mean not podium win the giro i mean that's what that's what the mindset we have that's uh and i mean you know as far as you know mental toughness goes he's one of the toughest guys i've uh i've ever worked with and um you know he's nothing gets him down and nothing uh nothing phases him so we you know we're there's been a lot of chirping and stuff about you know what could or could happen on today on a day like today and he said he said you know what like if it was up to me let's race on so Good luck out there. I'll let you get back to Katie. I would have preferred, I would have approved the Taylor Swift a bit more than Katie Perry. No, I'm, I'm Katie Perry all day. All day. Are you kidding me? Really? Off you go. Off you go. Get out of here.
Well, we opened tonight with TJ Van Garderen at the start this morning in pretty miserable weather. What was the conversation we heard then, Daniel? Well, the conversation this morning, TJ Van Garderen very contentious about the big, you know, the great rivalry, the copy and battle of, uh, of American female songstresses, Swift versus Perry. I'm died in the wall, Swift fan. Um, anyway, just after that, what That's we the heard, big, the big uh, talking the big point of the, of the day. day. Absolutely, we'll revisit that. Um, well, we were halfway up the first climb, La Crozeta climb. We stopped off because I've been on a bit of a quest. I found out this morning that this, uh, the plateau up here, the um, Alto Piano di Cancillo, used to be home to a tiny, one of the smallest um, linguistic enclaves in Italy, and uh, an ancient language called Cimbro, and some of the last speakers apparently used to live up here and it's a it's a language that's derived from german from bavarian in particular there are still a few people that speak it in um, on another plateau the alto piano di asiago um, 50 kilometers or so away anyway up here it seems like it's completely extinct i've asked you know i've searched high and low for speakers of chimbro no one speaks chimbro anymore up here which is sad lots of speakers of chimolai up here um but we david chimolai fan club because yeah because we're just outside Pordenone, which is his hometown. We should explain we're at the top of the first climb today. Sadly, one, one of only two climbs now today because the weather's pretty bad and at the start there was a lot of rumour about changes to the course and then it was confirmed just before just before the start really so it's had a pretty major effect on today's stage hasn't it Daniel? Yes I've been speaking to some locals Rich just outside there on the, by the GPM by the King of the Mountains um, banner and they're obviously very disappointed no one up here knows what's going on because there's no mobile network of any description no one even knows where the race is whether it's half an hour away an hour away because we well we know that the, the stage start time was going to be changed still cold still wet um, there are people next door we're in the, the bar the Locanda at the top of La Crozeta. There are people warming up on an open fire, um, which you're probably more okay with what type of fire that is. It's, you could probably describe that in um, Why is in that? Is that because I'm from a very cool country as well? Um, yeah, well, there's some, some poor cyclists here um, trying to, to warm up. I mean, it was very interesting what TJ said, I thought, at the start, because the, the rumour uh, going around was that the two teams wanted the full stage to be run, Bardiani and EF. And TJ Van Garden was very bullish there on behalf of his leader, Hugh Carthy, who is up there overall and fancied it. He fancied it. You know, we had a situation last year where there was a lot of controversy over uh, a stage being shortened due to adverse weather. This is a bit different because we're in the mountains and adverse weather can become more dangerous in the mountains. But I don't know, Daniel, you were expressing some misgivings this morning just about the fact that... Um, you know, we've seen over the last couple of years in particular more adverse weather having a bigger impact on mountain stages in particular. And well, I suppose we fear for these showpiece, you know, huge days in the mountains that are so important to Grand Tours. Well, I think we should retreat and gather our thoughts on that and wait till the, wait till the bunch goes okay. past and let's see how cold they actually look. But you are right, TJ Van Garderen this morning seemed fearless. There's a Taylor Swift reference. I wish I could. I wish I could respond with a Katie Perry reference, but I can't. I'm sorry. Can we go back to the eighties? Oh, 
Rich, I found some local fans uh, who seem to be enjoying themselves. Guys, what are we drinking? Have we got refosco? Uh, what have we got here? I drink Rabozo. <laughs> we love Rabozo and the Italian, uh, Italian wine. <laughs> and you guys are from the bottom of the mountain, correct? From yes, Treviso. From Treviso, we live in the bottom of the mountain. And we love cycling. And your names? Giovanni. Enzo. Daniel, this local dialect sounds remarkably like English. <laughs> and are you disappointed about um, no Fedaya, no Pordoi? No, we are very disappointed about this. But I think uh, for the cyclist uh, is uh, better this uh, this tour and uh, not to do Fedaya and uh, Pordoi today. Better to stand on La Croseta and drink uh, Raboso. Better <laughs> than La Croseta and drink Raboso. <laughs> Enzo Giovanni, grazie. <laughs> Mobile phones flying right on. It's Vincenzo Nibali. Vincenzo Nibli second over the summit ridge and here come the peloton about what 20-30 seconds behind and it's Lorenzo, Lucky Lorenzo, Lucky Lorenzo. You asked me Daniel who I expect to see first, I, I fully expect to see Hugh Carthy on his own in a skin suit, just to psych everyone out. Still gassing and fueling? Not sure what or when to eat and drink on rides that matter? Never again. Optimize your fueling strategy with real-time glucose data, actionable insights, and personalized analytics. We're here to help you achieve your performance goals. Go to supersapiens.com for more on how to track your energy levels and fuel for success. The Cycling Podcast Powered by Super Sapiens. My name is Kevin Sprouse. I'm a sports medicine physician, head of medicine for EF Nippo Pro Cycling. And I also have a practice called Podium Sports Medicine in the U.S. One of my other positions is I'm a scientific advisor for Super Sapiens. For most of my patients, I have them just wear it for a week before they start digging into the numbers. You want to see what, what your baseline is, how your body usually responds. Maybe the first day that you have it on isn't necessarily typical, and if you start changing things based on a day that wasn't typical, then you, you end up chasing your tail. And so I'd say just wear it for a week or so and, and, and get an idea of how, how high you tend to go, how low you tend to go, when that happens, uh, how variable you are throughout the day. And then focus in on those times on the bike, your, your training periods, and look at the same. Like how high do you go, how low do you go, how variable was it, and then how do you feel. So what's nice in the app uh, when you get it and start to play with it is you can delineate the start and finish of a workout. And you can also put in some notes about how you felt. You can quantify that. And so you can start to see, you know, maybe you do best with efforts when your glucose levels are between 120 and 135. Like you feel really good. And then the next day you go out and you're like, oh, those efforts felt awful today. And you look and lo and behold, you're, you know, 85 to 100. And you realize you were underfueled for those. And so you start to make these connections and realize that you need to be somewhere uh, to perform well. But then don't forget the other you know, 22 to 20 hours a day where you're fueling for those, where your nutrition is so important. So the time overnight, 
look and see if you're dropping low at night. And that's usually indicative of uh, inadequate fueling or inadequate calorie intake before bed, basically. Too much burn, not enough refuel. Buonasera a tutti, Gerson Federica, Staita Delba, Teval de Fassa. Vedai, vedi e benvenuti a tutti perché è il giro d'Italia. Well, here we are warming up after a long, cold, wet day. And whose voice was that did we just hear, Daniel? Well, Richard, I'm surprised you didn't get that. I'm surprised you're not fluent in Ladin, Ladino. Ladino. Um, Ladino. Ladino. Well, it's one of the languages I haven't studied. <laughs> that you haven't mastered yet. That was our host, Federica. Uh, we are in the Val di Fassa tonight. We're in the middle of the mountains. We're at the foot of the Marmolada, the queen of the Dolomites. Federica's first language, as is the case of most people, in this particular valley, we're in Canazze, is the name of the town we are. Their first language is Ladin, Ladino. So presumably tomorrow morning you're going to read a, a rough guide to Ladino and, and be fluent in it by the afternoon. No, That's how it works, is it not? Probably not, Richard. But, you know, we started the day, didn't we? We heard earlier with a bit of a quest or I was intrigued by this um, Chimbra, this sort of extinct language that we or we happened upon. One of the areas where it used to be spoken on top of the first climb. Didn't find anyone who spoke it. But when we get into this part of the world, into the valleys up in the north and the mountain stages of the Dolomites, we always, well, we often get a lot, well, we get a bit confused because we found ourselves in places where the first language is German and you can go you know, a few kilometers up the road and it becomes Italian again. In, there are four valleys here, um, the Val Badia, Val di Fassa, Val Gardena and Livina Longo, where Ladino is, for most people, the first language, second language is German, third language is Italian. And Federica was telling me that you can't get a job here in Canadze, in the public sector, if you don't have a formal qualification in Ladino. This is a bit of a digression before we get into today's stage, which we will. We're not. We're not just avoiding it or delaying it because we don't know what happened. We do know what happened. We've figured it all out and we're going to tell you about it in a moment. But Daniel, we listened to your kilometer zero. I listened to your kilometer zero finally about the Friuli region, which is hard to say. One little bit um, caught my ear that the local uh, language is, is thriving among young people. And I think this is a growing trend, isn't it? With Particularly in northeast of Italy, yeah. And yeah. In, it's the same in the Veneto region of Italy. Um, the young people do speak dialect. You know, it might be, some people might imagine that it's something that only the old codgers speak. No. <laughs> but no, on the As contrary. As in the northwest coast of Scotland, where Gaelic is generally, uh, it's kind of dying language. Um, anyway, on onto the stage. Um, Egan Bernal's fluent in the language of cycling, isn't he? Very he is, much so. He, he proved that today. The stage from Sacili to Cortina d'Ampezzo, cut by 60 kilometres. There was a lot of mystery about what today, partly because the helicopters couldn't take off. We didn't have pictures of the entire stage. So I thought I'd do the tale of the tapa tonight entirely in the form of slow radio. Oh, God. Only joking, we're not going to do the whole thing in, in slow radio. Well, Just let your imaginations conjure up the images. Well, today was a bit of a throwback in the sense that we have talked in the past about how, you know, the sort of... Journalists ep- used to make it up. Well, the journalists used to make it up. And the, the epic, romantic nature of the cycling narrative was fed and nourished by the fact that most there were a tiny handful of people who actually saw any of what was going on. And most other people experienced it over the radio. And today... 
we didn't see much of it at all, did we? But the, the little bits, the most insightful bits that we gleaned, we gleaned by standing at the roadside on the first climb of the day, La Crozetta. And I have recently watched footage at the top of the Jao where we didn't have pictures, but there was, well, one of our producers, Hugh Owen, has sent us um, some footage uh, from somebody that he knows from the top of the Jao. And it's actually quite informative about some of what happened. We'll get on to that. And when we were where we were earlier, Daniel, at the top of the first climb, there was a big group clear. I thought I saw Dan Martin. I was right. Dan Martin was there. Um, Jeffrey Bouchard was first to cross to get gain more points in the King of the Mountains competition. He wears that jersey, of course. Some other notable names there. Gorka Izagiri, uh, Vincenzo Nibali, Jan Tratnik, friend of the podcast, Jan Tratnik, uh, Matteo Fabro, uh, Lorenzo, Lucky Lorenzo, Lorenzo Fortunato, Cohn uh, Bowman, uh, Harm Van Hook, one of only two riders left now at Lotus Sudal because Thomas de Ghent didn't start this morning. Nicholas Roach was there. Uh, Brambila was there from Trek Segafredo as well. Some good names, Antonio uh, Pedrero. And a, a smaller group of, of from that big group formed, emerged at the front and started, well, most of them started the climb of the Jao uh, together. Nibli, Izagiri, Almeida and Formolo. They did, and, and Pedrero as well, sorry, um, Gebrezab Gabir had been there as well, helping his teammate Nibali, um, but he was uh, distanced before they began Jiao. It looked like they might have a good chance of staying away, not least because it was a group of very strong riders, but behind TJ Van Garderen's bullish talk in the morning wasn't just talk. They really took the race to Ineos Grenadiers and Van Garderen himself did a, a huge turn. Despite the fact with the temperatures, it was like going back to December, not in their wildest dreams. How many oh, of these Taylor Swift I'm not references any, I'm are not you get picking any up of these. here? I'm not going to get I'm any gonna of these. I'm going to pepper this episode with Taylor Swift reference, references and I'm going to see how many you get. Well, Van Garderen went very swiftly at the front of the bunch. Who's your favourite Swift? Connor, Ben or Taylor? Connor, Ben or Taylor? Um... Well, Connor, because he kept an audio diary for us last year, and I beat him uh, over the bridge in into Ile de Rey uh, on Strava. Sorry, on Richard, I interrupted you. Anyway, um, Van Garderen uh, really did a lot of damage. Um, the brunch split up at one point. We're inside the last 50 k's now. There were sort of long valley roads before the Jao, and, and quite tough roads as well. And EF, who lost Ruben Guerrero, yesterday and he would have been a great asset today really as i say took it to Ineos grenadiers and as they started the paso gel the gap to leaders was really collapsing ef still working hard on the front alberto betiel now having taken over and simon carr waiting behind him and hugh carthy their leader uh, waiting too we we're expecting big things from him after that statement from his team although as we'll hear later charlie wigalius didn't really like uh, me describing it as a statement because they were out to try and win the race. It was the moment when, when Carr uh, pulled off the front, about halfway up the climb, uh, Bernal went. Um, that was Carthy out of teammates and Bernal decided to go. Carthy followed him quite easily at first, it seemed, uh, but Bernal kept going and, well, we lost pictures at this point, but Bernal forged on ahead and Carthy fell back a little bit. At the summit, and I've I know this from having just watched this this footage, which is courtesy of Igor Tavella, who runs a cycling hotel in this area. Um, he recorded some very good quality footage, if anybody wants to have a look on Instagram, um, of what happened at the top. Bernal went over first, about 30 seconds ahead of Damiano Caruso, um, who began the day third overall. And, well, shall we hear from him at the start this morning? It's just to do a little bit more... 
sicura perché andare a 2200 metri con eh, rischio di pioggia, neve eh, è un rischio proprio per la salute, per l'ipotermia quindi credo che oggi sia stato usato il buon senso. That was Caruso, the surprise of the Giro so far. Speaking at the start, what was he saying, Daniel? The, the Sicilian that seems to thrive he, he in weather for Eskimos. He, he wasn't speaking in some other dialect, was no, he? No, he wasn't. No, he wasn't. Um, well, he has been uh, an impressive presence in both in the mix zone and on the road. All, all Jira, really. Um, very affable character. And um, yeah, that was him this morning. I mean, the Bahrain team, we'll hear later from Peo Bilbao, they were very much... Um, of the view that the right decision had been taken as far as the route shortening was concerned. But it also spoke to their director sportif, Alberto Volpi, at the finish and just about how and why Caruso had gone so well in in the conditions today. And, I mean, obviously Caruso's in the form of his life, but he said that the years spent as a domestique for captains might have helped and it might help on days like this because you have a better maybe a better understanding of what it takes to stay warm and i don't know a better um maybe slightly more au fait with the with the you know different properties of different rain jackets i don't know but caruso's always been in the shadows but actually at the tour last year he rode a very good overall race as well and i wonder if that just lit a light bulb in his head maybe we'll return to Caruso well, a bit later well of course later. the path has been cleared for him by yeah. Mikel lander crashing out I mean, we were at the finish and the pictures only reappeared at the finish where we saw Bernal come in and take the stage room with Caruso and Roman Bardet coming together. What I didn't know was that Bernal crossed the, the, the top alone. Caruso was chasing on his own and Bardet was a good 20, 30 seconds behind Caruso. So Bardet clearly descended very well. Worth mentioning as well, Simon Yates had another difficult day. And in fact, he was dropped while Simon Carr was still on the front before the, the big attack. So not an easy day for him uh, today. The top of the jaw was the Chimacopi, the highest point of this year's Giro at 2,236 metres. A lot of snow um, snow piled high, but I don't think it was ever, it, it didn't look it didn't look dangerous. Even uh, as in 2014, um, the Nairo Quintana, when when a descent was neutralized was it the stelvio or the gavia i can never remember stelvio. the stage once it was running didn't didn't look in any uh, question at all and um, there were other hard luck tales today alexander vlasov had a problem i think he caught his rain jacket in his wheel um, and he got dropped before just before they climbed the jow got some help from gorka izagiri his teammate but izagiri had a narrow uh, escape when he um Came off the road on the descent and uh, almost hit a car, but very good bike handling skills to remain upright. Another um, hard luck tale today, Remco Evenepoel lost 20 minutes. He finished 58th alongside our diarist, James Knox, and we'll, we'll hear from him a little bit later on. But Bernal came into the finish alone. Really, he didn't know, he's that's the second stage win, but he didn't know that he'd won the first one. So he really... Uh, maximize this one in terms of en enjoying it and taking his rain jacket off to show the pink jersey which was a among cycling strip teases was it one of the most impressive i mean i think better than jai, well it was better than jai henley's attempts to put on a rain jacket true. last year i think marco pantani's um well 
customary shedding of the bandana was the quintessential cycling striptease for younger listeners. I don't know if we've got any young listeners, but for younger listeners, Pantani would... <laughs> I don't know if we've got young well, listeners. I don't know if we do. Pantani would shed various items of clothing when he was preparing an attack, and that was one of the... As it's absolutely fundamental to the appeal and the mystique of Pantani, the fact that he telegraphed these attacks and he would pull them off, but it was it was almost systematic, you know, there were, there were even occasions where he took his nose ring out to save the, you know, four milligrams that um, his little nose stud weighed and then often the bandana would go last. Um, I don't think Bernal has quite reached those levels yet. It's not really a pantheon. Well, if anybody's still listening after Daniel's insulted the entire audience, it was a very impressive um, feat on cobbles, on slippy roads when he was presumably very cold after that 17-kilometre descent. Bernal managed to take his, his rain jacket off and... And I think that would probably be a, a gesture appreciated by the, the Giro itself, fans of the Giro. It'll make for a much uh, more appealing picture in tomorrow's newspapers. Bernal won, not by much, 27 seconds. Admittedly, he lost about three minutes taking his rain jacket off, and he didn't. But you know, Bardet, who was second, was pretty close. We'll hear from him in a bit. Caruso finished with Bardet. Then it was Giulio Ciccone at 118. Hugh Carthy, just a second behind him. They finished with Jar Almeida, who'd survived from that earlier breakaway. Then uh, Vlasov at 2.11. Simon Yates at 2.37. On GC now, Bernal leads by 2.24 from Caruso's move up to second. Carthy had a good day. He moved up two places on the podium. He's up to third. Vlasov still fourth. Simon Yates moved down three places to fifth. Um, one uh, Roman Bardet obviously had a good day on GC as well moved up to 7th Tobias Foss as well not bad up a place to ninth with Almeida into the top 10 too a couple of DNS Rich Sebastian Heikenbach oh, he's actually French speaking isn't he um, and Thomas de Ghent Thomas de Ghent was a DNS despite having DNS despite having been through the mix zone uh, in his kit ready uh, to race and then didn't start because of a knee problem. Had a lovely so, chat with his his friend, his good friend. We've learned over the last few days that he and well, he's identified a kindred spirit in Simon Pello of Andrea. Yes, they, they, they did have a long but, chat. Yeah, yeah. and um, they did have a long chat in the mix zone. But well, yeah. uh, I mean, imagine De Ghent is Pello's breakaway idol. Is he? I think he might be. The Cycling Podcast at the 2021 Giro d'Italia is supported by Science in Sport. Science in Sport. Fueled by science. Thanks very much indeed to our sponsor, Science and Sport. Still backing us after all these years, starting in 2016, and we're very grateful to them for their support. If you want 25% off all your Science and Sport uh, products, go to scienceandsport.com and enter the code SISCP25. SISCP25. We're still running our Super Sunday competition with Science and Sport as well. If you want to predict the winner of Sunday's stage, well, it's a time trial, isn't it? I imagine there'll be a lot of people picking Filippo Ganna. Um, but you never know. You never know. I mean, he's doing a lot of work here. Um, there might be other candidates uh, who who could beat him in Milan. Um, if you want to enter that competition and stand a chance of winning £80 worth of Science and Sport goodies, go to thecyclingpodcast.com. Um, to enter. Also at thecyclingpodcast.com, you can sign up as a friend of the podcast. The most recent episode we've re-released is Stephen Roach talking about his 1987 uh, Giro victory um, in a very 
well, intimate way. Uh, three, four years ago, we re- we released that originally, but that's available now for anyone who signs up as a friend of the podcast. So, Daniel, the main talking point today, I suppose, certainly at the start, was the weather and the effect on the stage, um, cutting out two climbs and 60 kilometres. We're going to hear from our audio diarist, James Knox, a bit later on about that too. But there was a lot of confusion, wasn't there, at the start? It it seemed to be a very late decision to um, change the stage. Yeah, and of course, all of this has to be seen in light of and in the context of what happened last year at the Giro when on, what was two days from the end, wasn't it? Um, There was torrential rain on the stage that finished in Alba, wasn't it? Or it it went into Piemonte. It was a very long stage and the riders were very tired and it was October. There were threats to, well, the riders wanted the stage cancelled, didn't they? Eventually they rode um a shortened stage and they only really raced the last part and that was all very controversial and the riders association the cpa came in for an awful lot of flack over that the organizers were very unhappy rcs maraveni the race director in particular yesterday rich the delegate for the cpa the riders association here at the giro and he's he's the head of the italian riders association but the delegate of the whole association here Christian Salvato was in the mixer and he was floating about. And I think I alluded to this in the podcast yesterday. He was he was central to what talks had had we found out this morning been taking place for 24 hours about this stage. Christian Salvato was in the mix zone again this morning, just after we found out that the stage had been shortened. And I asked him exactly what had happened and why. No, it wasn't the extreme weather protocol that led to the stage being changed today. It needed our input. I also thank the organisers for understanding the situation. We're really sorry to have to cut such a beautiful stage, but it'll be a great show anyway, and it'll all be fine. Did we hesitate to make this request after what had happened last year? Well, last year mistakes were made, but I think here we've done the right thing. We started talking yesterday morning, but the decision was only taken this morning, because with all our heart we hoped to do it. The riders wanted to do it, honour the stage, and now they'll honour the shortened version. You're telling me you heard that EF and Barbiani wanted to do the original route? Well, my answer to that is that I go with the majority. So, Rich, to for the avoidance of doubt, this wasn't about the UCI's extreme weather protocol, which has been in place since 2016. Um, that could possibly have been invoked, although I'm not sure um, the conditions today really met the criteria. But it was more a sensible, uh, sensible as far as they saw it, compromise between RCS and the teams. And we thought the riders, we didn't know how involved the riders had been in the decision making, to avoid basically what happened last year, to avoid um, an, a very embarrassing situation where the decision was made minutes before the start and they were all at sort of cross purposes. And today there was at least an attempt made to make it appear as though they were all singing from the same hymn sheet. That was interesting because, well, Adam Hansen in particular came in for a lot of flack last year for being seen as the the the, 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 the rider's leader um, in, in Domanius. And, and they were really at loggerheads there with RCS and Maroveni. Here today was very, very different. Uh, it was, and well, James, not what James Knox says about this is interesting too, um, we weren't really aware of riders being disgruntled or calling for the stage to be shortened. Now, that could be because the riders have been burned. You know, if, if they put their heads above the parapet and certainly if they 
voice and opinion on social media. They know they know not to do that now. So so they may well have been, um, you know, the the, the CPA WhatsApp groups. Uh, you know, each each team has a, a rider who's a a kind of delegate who and they talk to each other and come up with all um, you know discuss all these these things together. But RCS seemed remarkably, I think, relaxed about the changes to this stage and. We we know now, of course, and they would have known a lot earlier that there were no television pictures for a lot of the stage. So today was the the Queen stage, the big spectacle. Is is that old the old you know? If a tree falls in the forest and nobody's around uh, to hear it, does it make a sound? You know, if if there aren't TV pictures, is there any point in taking the risk? I suppose of the stage that was originally planned. There's another point here as well. Just before you come in on that. It so happens that Bernal is so superior that it didn't matter. We still had a great stage, actually. And and what I can imagine if the stage had been the original stage is that Bernal would have won by even more. I think the only reason that people might be slightly disgruntled tonight is that they know what they missed. If they didn't know what they missed, what they would have seen today was a, a Dolomite mountain stage um, with big time gaps and it didn't really feel watered down or decaffeinated it's just they know they'd been looking forward to the jow the fedaya which you know in all likelihood they would have any else would have ridden tempo over both of those climbs if we hadn't if we if there was no possibility of seeing it as viewers is, is there is there any great loss in losing it no probably not and um but you know this being cycling as you said you you alluded there to the, the issue of the television pictures and one might people might suspect that Rye or RCS, knowing that those climbs weren't going to be shown anyway, might have thought, well, um, it's only going to be more embarrassment if we can't show three climbs. So why not why not shorten the stage? Another you know conspiracy theory, another um, ulterior motive that people might detect. It was noticeable. Well, we heard from TJ Van Garderen, and we we got the impression that EF. We heard rumours that EF were very much up for it this morning well people might say that EF appeared to be up for it because last year they came in for an awful lot of flack for um, well the letter that they wrote to the race direction asking for the Giro to be halted because of Covid. Another little interesting point about this and, and it's interesting to consider the importance of television pictures to maybe the decision making today but the the, the most famous stage in Giro history maybe is the is the Gavia stage in 1988, um, not won by Andy Hampson, but where Andy Hampson really laid the foundations for his overall win. There were no TV pictures that day either. I mean that that is a stage that's taken on mythological status. It was actually 25 degrees and sunny, but it, <laughs> <laughs> but it's taken on mythological status precisely because we didn't see it, you know. And and um, we did an episode with Andy Hampson last year about that stage, and when I went back to try and research it to try there's so little footage of it there's there, there's even less than there was today we we know the pictures we've seen all the the photographs but in terms of what happened on the day nobody saw it and yet it still um is a stage that we 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 talk about and that is a very important stage in Giro history and inevitably there are comparisons uh, w- you know when stages like today's are altered in the way they are we we think back to this stage in snow um, and 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 you know riders in recently bought ski gloves and so on and think well if they did it then surely they could do it now. Should we hear before we go on with this debate? Should we hear from a rider? And you mentioned ski gloves there. I was very intrigued by 
the, the little patches that Peo Bilbao was wearing on the back of his hands when he appeared and he um, presented himself to speak to me in the mix zone today. So I asked him about them. So what have you heard this morning um, about the stage being changed and when did you find out that it had been changed? Until uh, 10, 15 minutes we didn't know nothing, no. We were expecting this change, but just in case we were prepared with all this hot uh, material, no, to try to keep the temperature and uh, preparing for a very difficult hard stage. In the end it's going to be, I think, intelligent decision from part of the of the organizers no because uh, it was difficult to guarantee that today uh, the whole stage uh, could be done so yeah in the end good decision for for everybody i think you just pointed to some patches on your hands Peo, on the back of your hands what are they yeah i have uh, cream and patches from all uh, over the, <laughs> the the body no what do they do? Uh, just to keep the temperature, they give a bit of uh, uh, it's just hot patches and yeah, to try the, to keep the temperature. No, I suffer a lot with uh, with rain and cold, so just doing uh, everything that was possible for us. And just lastly, so um, it's the temperature on the jowl and the portadoy, I think, is about zero. Um, was it? I mean, obviously, it's the descent that everyone is most worried about. That's where you get most cold. But also, I think it's snowing up there now. Well, now I think we don't need to be worried. No, just uh, the first climb and the the last in jowl. In the climb, we are not gonna have any problem. Also, if it is snowing, uh, we don't have problem. No, the, the the problem would be just in the descents that. Uh, more than 10 case on descents with uh, less than zero degrees and also snowing would be too dangerous. So that was another rider, Rich Peo Bilbao, this morning saying a sensible decision had been taken. But I think what we're seeing here, and we've discussed this before, this is part of a lo- very long-term transition from, um, of professional cycling from the realm of the epic and the heroic and the extreme to a different kind of extreme. It's still an extreme sport, but it's extreme in different ways. It's, it's incredibly fast. Um, but, you know, I mean, I was looking earlier, thinking back to... to times when it was a real test of pure survival um last year the tour de france started in nice and that was where the first rider died on the tour de france a guy called um adolphe elier stage in nice it was a 345 kilometer stage the night before he arrived in nice there were no hotel rooms left and he slept on the beach the next morning went for a slap the next day it was a rest day went for a slap up dinner and then um, an ice cream and he went to swim in the sea afterwards and drowned um, either because of exhaustion or there were theories about him being stung by a jellyfish. Anyway, that, that, that is a completely, completely different sport, completely different entity to what professional cycling is now. very few riders stung by jellyfish no, these days. No, you know, now if if they're not back at the bus 50 minutes after the finish, the bus leaves without them. You know, everything is set up in a completely different way. And, um, you know, I've got a piece here from uh, Cristiano Gatti, an, an Italian journalist who's a, an excellent writer and he writes these sort of daily polemics. But he says... Um, you know, we can't call them heroes anymore. Well, again, the survivalist aspect of professional cycling has possibly gone. I mean, I'm loath to use the term or use the phrase playing the health card, but we heard a few riders this morning saying, oh, well, our health is in danger. I mean, there are, there are doctors on every team. There are, there's a medical team behind the race. It's not great for their health to go over climbs 2,200 metres 
um, high, but it's probably unlikely that someone would would die of hypothermia. Um, it is probably unlikely. Um, however, is it necessary to see them suffer to the extent where you know they might get ill or that there might be ice on the road and they might slip off? Do we want that? Do we need that? Is that essential to the to the appeal and to the spectacle? I don't think. Yeah, I don't think the argument that um, death is unlikely, therefore it's okay, will 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 really fly. Um, I mean, I think you, you and I were standing at the top of the first climb, Daniel, and we both said that our sympathy for the riders increased immeasurably just by being roadside, by witnessing the, the cold, the, 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 the wet, and the, the sight of the riders, especially in the Gruppetto, who were already in a battle for survival. It was still a very hard stage, 153 kilometers. You know, had it been uh, originally, sh- you know, 153 kilometers, I wonder if it would have been shortened further. I mean, today was originally a monster stage. I mean, Elia Viviani would have paid a thousand euros not to ride it. It was a, a horrific stage, even in beautiful sunshine, you know, um, which is kind of what you might get at this time of the year ordinarily. There is a balance and sometimes the decision will be wrong and sometimes it will be right. And it's good to I, I think we, we've we've moved on as well from even from 1988 Although that is a mythological stage, it was kind of crazy. It was dangerous. The footage that you can see illustrates that point. It was dangerous, and the descents in particular were dangerous. There are all sorts of things that come into this. You know, clothing is better. Disc brakes make a big difference yeah, without and also entering knowing into that we, debate. Knowing what conditions await you. But I think the riders are, are skinnier. I think the riders are carrying less fat. Um, you can you just have to look at them to see that. So they're maybe more vulnerable as well to extreme cold. There is a legitimate fear among the fans that we will, you know, we cherish and we mythologize these days like the Gavia. And there is a genuine concern. It's a legitimate concern, I would say, that we will never see those days again. And they they are often the days that have, you know, created contributed to the the folklore of this sport and and people don't want those days to to be a thing of the past and to be um you know obsolete there was a sort of um i guess a a a circle closed or unfinished business completed for bernal today who may well have won the stage to teen in 2019 uh, when he won the tour de france of course um although Matt White maintains that Simon Yates would have won it, um, but that stage was obviously halted by uh, landslides. I mean, the, that that day was different. There was there there was no way they could run the race to the finish because the road had been blocked. Um, so there was a sort of nice sort of symmetry almost to today's victory by Bernal. But um, and I don't think there's an asterisk against the stage at all. I mean, I think as I say, had it been longer and had it included those two other major climbs. He would have only won by more time. But a team that really deserved a lot of credit today um, for the way they took it on was EF Education Nippo, to give them their proper name. And I spoke at the finish to their sports director, Charlie Wigelius. We spoke to TJ this morning. He was very bullish and said that Hugh was very bullish as well. And you, you really came out there with a, obviously a plan. Um, you know, what was that plan? And what, you know, what, what we saw, what happened on the road, was that pretty much what, what you had planned? Considering they were sat on the bus with that weather outside, they were extremely motivated this morning, and that's obviously a great sign. And basically, the way the the race was panning out, it wasn't playing to Hugh's characteristics. It's a little bit like the Zonkaland stage, the route of today. 
it just doesn't suit his style of riding compared to his rivals when it plays out like that so we did what we could to try to basically mold the race into a race that would be better for him and I think if you look at the fact that he's now third overall and uh, Yates is now behind him and Vlasov is now behind him I think it was a pretty good operation. Ineos have been very strong but we saw a very strong EF today and as you had just mentioned you're missing your two best climbers Guerrero's loss yesterday would be a real blow mm. um, but you must be pleased and TJ again said this morning that having a leader like Hugh who, who wasn't daunted at all by this weather and was quite up for it that yeah. helps them a lot I guess we've got some great riders left on the bus you know and I think it's nice for them to have the platform to show you guys what they can do because they've actually been riding great for the last uh, however many days but unfortunately you don't always see that in the TV but if they've delivered him to this point of the race, the way he is, it's down to the work that they've all done until now, not just today. And how is Hugh after that stage? Is he happy? Is he? Does he still feel there's a lot of the Giro left to race? I mean, I think you know Hugh a bit, don't you? He's not never going to be over ecstatic. Uh, he'll be complaining about the weather, probably. No, but uh, joking apart, I think he knows he did a, a good race, and I think that the riders deep down also know that they did a, a great job today. Is it important in his development as a leader too that, that you try something like you tried today and, and really kind of make a, make a bit of a statement like that? Yeah. I wouldn't say we're racing to make statements, you know, we're racing with pretty clear ideas about what we're trying to achieve, but I do think it's important that they have the courage to do it when the chance comes and they don't have to be afraid of anybody. Well, Rich, I suppose EF um, were one of the winners, were among the winners of the day, um, not least because of the style in which they rode. As aggressive as they were, um, we've been slightly concerned, haven't we, that, that teams and riders might not bow to Egan Bernal's superiori superiority, but not really be able to do much. And there have been a couple of, there have definitely been some flourishes from Astana at the weekend, there was from EF today. And we also saw a bit of a resurgence today from Romain Bardet, didn't we, of DSM. Um, he's not quite, well, he's not on the podium places, in the podium places yet, but they are back on the agenda, aren't they, for Bardet, I would, I would suggest, after today's stage. Um, he's seventh overall. Five minutes, two seconds down on Bernal, but only, well, he's just under three minutes down on Caruso, who's in second. So he's in with a shout for the podium. And um, he was very happy when he came over the line. And um, over the course of our 45-second interview, he became less happy, not because of the questions I asked, because he was getting very cold. Roman, you're pretty much the only man coming over the line smiling. Um, you seem pretty, pretty happy with that. We saw almost nothing after Bernal attack. So just tell us from your point of view, from that moment, what happened? Yeah, Bernardo once again was the strongest, and uh, I was just behind with Caruso and just took my own pace until the top and do the most uh, in the downhill. And then uh, was finally a good ride for me. So I'm really. And you're starting to shiver. I mean, how much of a problem was the cold today? Yeah, it was, but uh, it was already super cold. But uh, the stage had to be shortened, so. That was Roman Bardet and I was there too and the suddenness with which he got he started to be affected by the cold was, was pretty alarming you know, Almost it, the second I, I asked yeah, the question yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, the, the frost descended but he obviously the adrenaline was pumping and he was, he, was, he was pretty chipper there was a friend of his on the other side of the road um, as a spectator he went and greeted them and he was he, fresh as a daisy and then very suddenly um, he began 
uh, shaking and shivering. And I guess that would, would have been the case for a lot of riders today. But Bardet goes well in the cold, doesn't he? And he's a very good descender too. He's a good bike handler. Um, and I was speaking to his press officer at the team, Emily Bramier, um, about him. They've had a lot of GC riders in the past, but no one with the experience of Bardet. And, and she was saying how how relaxed he is. And he told me last week in an interview I did with him that he was aiming for the podium here. Another thing I, I said to her was that, you know, that the race lacks a bit of interest because Bernal is so superior. And she said, yeah, but there's a lot of interest in the other placings. And that got me thinking about Drive to Survive, the Netflix series. What that does so brilliantly is it makes you interested in the battle for sixth and seventh place. You, a whole episode can be about that. And it becomes very interesting as soon as you're invested in the characters. And that's maybe what cycling is lacking. Maybe that's our failure. Um, because behind Bernal, there is a lot of competition there for the placings in the top 10. You know, Almeida's kind of resurgent as well. Foss is riding a good race. Simon Yates today, there were people who were following the race, for example, on motorbikes, who saw thought they saw Simon Yates in a lot of trouble. And they worried that today saw a return of whatever whatever issues that he complained to us about or he sort of hinted at in his interview with us yesterday. He had muscular in, um, issues in the first week and he was struggling at the top of the climb, at the top of the jowl and on the descent as well. Looked slightly uncomfortable pedalling, I was told. Daniel, we've still got to hear from our audio diarist and it's another raw and kind of honest instalment from James Knox. But before that, you spoke to Luca Guarcellina at the finish, he is Trek Segafredo, um, general manager, and uh, they've still got a lot of um, a lot to fight for in this Giro. Giulio Ciccone is still riding very well, and uh, Nibali gave it a good go today. Well, an another direct sportif, Rich, or another team manager in Lucas Case, who obviously had a view on what happened with the stage, it being shortened this morning. And um, also, as you say, uh, it was a, a pretty good day for Ciccone. And we also saw Vincenzo Nibali rallying today, didn't we? We expect some kind of a sort of a flick of the shark's fin um, before the end of the Giro. And we sort of saw that today. We saw it live. We were on La Crosetta where it happened. Well, Luca, let's start at the beginning and this morning. Did you go to the start today expecting to do the full route or did you already know that it was going to be shortened? No, we thought to, that we were going to do the full road, especially because uh, we got information that normally everything was clean and, and okay. But then there at the start, start to arrive news that, uh, even from organizers, that the top of the mountain there was uh, light snow and so on. So at the end was a common decision to don't take the start. Uh, on the original parkour and to have the shortened one probably I think was the best choice at this point. Did it seem to you as though most of the teams if not all of the teams all of the riders were unanimous? No as usual <laughs> no I mean it's clearly I mean I, I believe f for the teams I mean teams we were probably all in line to take the start or few, small modification uh, but between the riders we know we are here with 200 guys and each one has his own priority so it's uh, way more difficult to have them having a one common idea but at the end it was such a difficult day and decision that uh, I believe it's been already tough like this I, I, I could not imagine with this weather how it could have been to make the the four pass and I guess after what happened last year what everyone really wanted to avoid was a mess whereby a decision is taken at the last minute Exactly. I mean, we, we, on the bus this morning we discussed, we say, okay, guys, 
once we step down from the bus, a decision should have been made and we move and we stick to the plan. Otherwise, for the public especially, it's not nice to see sort of a strike or protest. And I think at the end, we, there, there, there was a, uh, the right, was the right moment to take the right decision. And tactically today on the road, um, the attack from Vincenzo, was that planned or was it a kind of spontaneous prova d'orgoglio? What was it? We, we planned the attack, you know. We, we would like really to have a, a big group going and have, have a chance to, to go for the, for the stage. But obviously when you see that there's uh, Almeida and uh, Formolo that they are so close to the classmen, we knew it was a complicated to go to the finish. So then we tried to make another selection, but then again Almeida was there, so we knew it was very complicated to, to go to the finish. So at the end, Vincenzo, when he, we realized that the, the, the main peloton was coming back, he slowed down a bit and tried to, to give the, 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 last pull to, the last pull to Giulio. And, uh, and that's it. I mean, you know, was, that was the plan. We make it. And I think so far was not bad. And just finally, with Giulio over the next few days, he's never, he's never really ridden general classification for three weeks before. Um, do you really want to see him well, continue to do that? Or, I mean, I know he's very aggressive. I mean, it's his impulse, it's his desire to maybe try something spectacular, try to win a state. As you said, his first time is really going for GC, so we need to support him as well now. Clearly need to keep control and see who he can follow, who cannot. Now the podium is a, is a bit far, but so far, you know, four to six is very, very close game. Let's say four to seven. So let's see after the rest day how it goes. And then I think that uh, that will be our priority. Uh, obviously, if we see that there's the opportunity, we always take it. You know, and that's what we came here with this attitude, and we'll keep going with that. That was Luca Guercellina. Um Again, if you're interested in Luca Guercellina, an episode of from our Giro it was Daniel in conversation with Luca, and a very interesting man he is too. Let's hear now, shall we, from a very tired, bedraggled James Knox, just craving crisps and beer. I can relate to that. In the hotel now, would have done my. Audio diary previously, but I felt pretty sick in the bus. We had, uh, had to do a couple of climbs. It was quite long, quite twisty. The bus was pretty hot. Felt pretty, felt pretty horrible. Had some crisps and peanuts and beer to drown out the day. Really hard day. Scary how much harder it could have been. Trembling at the thought of what would have been if we had to go over for the uh, and Podoy. But yeah, it was just a bit of a mess, to be honest. Uh, I'm going to put my neck on the line and say... It's just a bit of a fiasco, the whole thing. You know, we only found out in the bus. Literally, we were supposed to be going to sign on at 10.25, more or less, something like that. Not that it matters now, obviously. I, I mean, personally, wasn't really like the decision was in my hands. You know, I wasn't someone... I was just going to try and get on with it either way. Sort of mentally prepared and also prepared clothing-wise to do the big one. I was five layers deep, hot cream everywhere, wearing as much clothes as I could. Um, not that that changed anything really, but yeah, just to be fine out so late, it's a bit annoying. And I can't help but feel like there's a little bit of a, again, don't want to be controversial, but there's just a bit of a, no one wants to take responsibility for it, particularly, I mean, from the rider's point of view, it seems like the organisation, even though they did make the call in the end, like to just sort of make it seem like the riders are the, the bad guys, the man in the race got shown when I think the conversation side much earlier about the race looking like a bit of a disaster climb over 2,300 metres a couple of times and over 2,000 metres three times in the race. 
which I think it was mainly replied with, no, no, it's fine, it's going ahead, it's going ahead. Last night we heard it was going ahead. Yeah, even though there's a bit of rumbling on the CPA group and asking of a vote. Yeah, all we hear is from the organisation, the race is going ahead. I guess as a rider, even despite this CPA and a little bit of group chat organisation, not much you feel like you can do. Maybe it wasn't as bad as forecasted in the end. It was very, very, very cold. I did survive okay with how much I had, but it's a frozen, frozen ride down into Cortina, and that was that was just one high descent. I really dread to think if I would have gotten round frozen, you know, coming over for day and then have to call back up Podoy just to do it all over again. And, you know, I see everything on Twitter. We're not, you know, the riders aren't, you know, we're aware of all the outside nose. We seem to be getting slated by and large. I guess it's a little bit disheartening to read, you know, I feel like, especially having a hard time, you know, it's not like we're going out there and having a jolly, but public love the suffer fest, don't they? You know, like, I, I mean, I think we would have seen 60 guys out the race. I don't know, is abandoning the race, frozen, being unable to pedal, getting in cars. Worst case scenario is getting shipped off in ambulances or stopped by the road with hyperthermia. Is that, is that, I don't know if that's ideal. Just seen that thing in China where look, that ultramarathon went tits up. Things can go wrong. It's not, it isn't very nice. There is riders scattered over an hour of the course. Not everyone's got support and, and whatever. And it's hard enough to use the radios when the cars are nearby, let alone if you're, if you're on your own. So yeah, and after all that, the race wasn't, was barely even on TV. Because um, I think it was a pretty, it was a bit of a spectacle. I don't know if it, if it would have changed drastically. You know, maybe it would have just been a couple more explosions and tune on the TV a bit later. Because from what I understand, and yeah, Joao did a fantastic race up the road, drove the breakaway with some got strong guys. They went away from from his own words. Bernal just came flying past him, and yeah, there wasn't anything he could do. But sounds like Bernal again showed his showed his class, showed his ability some more daylight between the other guys even if he took the descent easy and they brought him back a little bit but yeah Remco wasn't enjoying it much to be honest um he had a mechanical on the first climb and that was a bit of a bit of a disaster also Joao was going up the road there's obviously not much anyone could do Mikkel yesterday's crash was hurting and also dropped so I was sort of dangling at the back of what was a very splintered group trying to help but at the same time petrified that if I actually and only back further, I wouldn't, you know, and it kicked off again. I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I also wouldn't be there, so can't say I did much, but sort of gave me a little bit of hand for that last few hundred meters, or whatever, to get back to the group. But that was all on the first climb, and then from there, tried to keep a bit of morale, but yeah, he was hurting. I think, as we can all see on the results, didn't go very well when he yeah, took it on, set a strong pace before we even got to the Jow. Do know these roads, done some minor hydraulic stage here. We did a training camp in Paso San Pellegrino last year, so basically knew all the roads. Yeah, not that that made it any easier, but yeah, as soon as he put the hammer down, gaps are forming and we tried to close it before we even hit the properly the, the climb before past the jaw and then yeah, we sort of see it was over and we ended up just riding as a as a foursome in a bit of our own group at O, taking our time, trying to save Remco a bit. Thankfully I had some hot drinks and stuff from the car throughout the day. I mean other than Jao, I shouldn't be so despondent, should I? Jao did a fantastic ride, he moved himself up to tenth. But obviously from my perspective of the day it was pretty pretty hard, miserable day. Um, rest day tomorrow, steak for dinner, big lion tomorrow morning, supposed to rain so I won't be riding my bike outside, probably won't ride my bike, take a bit of a kick in on Wednesday but would love a day off, I'm pretty done, need, need something to bounce back with. Yeah, I don't know if I said but we're in Kanazai, bottom of Podoi, I think that's all, I'm going to enjoy maybe a, yeah, another beer tonight for dinner, hopefully some chips with the steak or get, try and get a packet of crisps or something, love a packet of crisps, top of the ones I've already had on the bus, and then yeah, 
getting a little bit closer slowly, but not having the the greatest of Giro's. And the Giro isn't exactly treating us either. So there you go. You suffer and you learn from it. Or at least you try to. Well, that was James Knox. Um, another another riveting instalment from James. Um, he's not having the, the greatest Giro. And, you know, this is the third audio diary he's kept for us. The first one was at the Vuelta where he was fighting to finish in the top 10. The second one was at the Giro where they had the pink jersey for a lot of the race. So a lot to ride for there and it was uh, you know th those were both pretty positive experiences i have to say credit to james for keeping the diary going every night uh, when he's not having the best of, of times here and um, things are not going so well for him or his team so we're very grateful to him for sending in these installments every night and uh, really laying his soul bare and it was very interesting to hear him talk about you know the the failure to take responsibility by anybody for this decision, and that that was my impression too. It's interesting that you mentioned this race in China, which I talked to you about earlier, Daniel. 21 runners died um, in extreme weather in China in an endurance race, and uh, I think hypothermia was a, a factor there. You know, these things can happen, not saying that that would happen on a race like the Giro, but, you know, we, we shouldn't dismiss completely the health concerns. Now, what, what's interesting, and just to elaborate on something we said earlier, is that the worlds of professional sport and amateur sport are diverging in this respect because these sort of survivalist events, these last man standing events, particularly in uh, things like ultra um, ultra running, ultra trail running. Um, you know, if you look at events like Badwater and um, Marathon des Sables, Marathon des Sables, but they are becoming, you know, from sort of a hundred kilometers having been a, a an extremely long way, and the sort of the gold standard for ultra trail races. Now there are many that are over two hundred kilometers, three hundred kilometers, four hundred kilometers, and these events sell out and there's massive demand on the part of amateur athletes to take part in these events and professional sport is, for reasons we said earlier, because of its changing nature and also because it's a product that's constructed for television. Which it wasn't, and, and you know, the Tour de France was established by Henri de Grange as an extreme endurance event and it's changed and it's something different now. We should uh, wrap things up, We should, Daniel. Richard. Um, tonight, there's going to be no update on my odyssey through the long, stringy pastas of central and even northern <laughs> Italy, um, but I'm hoping that we might get some canederli tonight, which are very typical of this region. They're sort of dumplings, kind of like gnocchi, but a bit bigger. With made with stale bread, cheese. Um, I think the cheese is called Puzzone di Moena, which is just up the road, Moena. Um, spinach you get in there. What else is on? A bit of speck. So I'm hoping we will have some of those. We, better, act, we better go pretty quickly because it's uh, time's getting well, on. Things, and, and things tend to shut down um, <gasps> more quickly earlier. Oh my here, goodness. Don't they? Right, well, let's wrap things up quickly. Like we can't miss dinner. Culture. We can't miss dinner or we'll be on the crisps and beer like James Knox. Thanks very much, Daniel. Thank you, Richard. Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, oh, oh.